it was sunset and we are shooting and we said, I'm not even kidding, we're like, imagine if these got in vogue. And then when we went back to the car to pack all that stuff up, we had an email from Edwina, which is editor-in-chief of Vogue. Never heard of her in our life. And that happened literally half an hour after we said that. Then when we went to the meeting with Edwina that had nothing to do with the photo shoot, uh, we were with like all her um, assistants and stuff. And we showed the photos that we took on the day to these girls. And then they said, holy shit, Edwina needs to see these. And as we're walking back to the car, because Edwina was in a meeting, uh, we had a DM off Edwina in capital saying, oh my God, these are amazing. We're going to print. Welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the very talented men behind the Inspired Unemployed. You've likely seen Matt Ford and Jack Steele dancing and jumping and laughing across your social media news feeds as the two comedic brains behind the juggernaut that is the Inspired Unemployed. With nearly 600,000 followers on TikTok and nearly 800,000 on Instagram, in the last year or so, Matt and Jack have gone from relative obscurity to an internationally recognized duo loved for their ability to create cleverly crafted skits, often in under 60 seconds. So what's it been like for these two self-proclaimed battlers and former tradies who, in 12 months, have gone from working on suburban job sites to starring on the cover of GQ and fronting campaigns for Fendi, Louis Vuitton and The Iconic? And how do they keep having fun when your side hustle becomes your full-time job? We had an absolute blast chatting to these two about each other, about their work and how they created one of the most successful brands of 2020. Here is Matt and Jack from The Inspired Unemployed. The Inspired Unemployed Boys, Jack and Matt, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Good to be on here. Been listening to you guys a lot lately, actually. Oh, that sounds like a lie. <laughs> I don't believe you for a second. We actually have. On the way, on the way up. You know, a quick little one minute before we got bored. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's great. Great podcast. Well, we're glad to have had you for that single minute. We are very flattered and we will have thousands of listeners who will be very, very stoked that you are on the podcast today. So what we wanted to start with is we actually wanted to address a little bit of a conspiracy that we, we were doing our digging the last couple of days. And the most Google question about the two of you is how old you are. And in a recent interview, you both said you were 26. But then we listened to an interview that you did in January and one of you said you were 25 and one of you said you were 24. And now we're just very confused. I think in the paper the other day, I was 27, you were 28. Oh, yeah. Uh, so who knows? who knows? It's a mystery. I don't think anyone knows. I don't someone, even know. Someone actually came up to us yesterday we are playing lawn bowlers and they are like, we need to know how old you are. I don't know why people. Why do they want to? I don't know why people want to know that. Well, please. The real question is, why are you so secretive? Just give us your age. What's the bit? They're like thirty-five, Michelle. No, I'm thirty-four, and he's thirty-six. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just think it's been typos the whole time. I'm twenty-five, and Jeff's twenty-six. Yeah. I think what's interesting about the two of you is. Obviously, everyone knows you as a duo as the Inspired Unemployed, but I guess the first thing they wanted to get a sense of is how you're both different. Like, how would you describe yourself as different to each other? I mean, Jack, I'll start with you. How is Matt different to you? That's a good question. Yeah, probably because he's more 
easy, like everything's happy. I'm more, I don't even know. How do you, how we We're talking about this other day. We're so the same, but we're so yin and yang at the same time. Yeah, so similar. I just think maybe I'm more of a serious type personality, more deep, maybe a bit more deep in, in, a, way, in a sense. Mm. And then Falcon's more real lighthearted and kind of easy going. But in other traits, we're literally the same person. Mm. But in some internal ways, yeah, we're very different, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's kind of central to your success though? Like, do you think that you kind of need to have both that serious side and that frivolous side to make things work? Yeah, definitely. definitely. I think that's why it works. Yeah. Because we are. It wouldn't work without it. Out. If yeah. we're the same, it wouldn't work. And we've got it. It's hard because we spend every day together. So it's hard not to mold into the same person. I know. You really want to keep that difference there because otherwise, but I don't know. It, it's, it works fine at the moment. Mm. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> yeah. I think obviously the story with you guys is that you met in high school and you became best friends. Was it in year seven? Talk to us about the formation of that friendship. Yeah, so we met, I was in year seven, he was a year above in year eight, and we met, I always bring back to this school snow trip. We did a school snow trip and everyone used to go to school real early and line up to put their hand up for the school snow trip. And I think I met him in the line there. In the morning. Yeah, I can't remember it. And then we became friends and we're close, but we weren't that close. We were friends, but hung out here and there, and then it wasn't until after school when we started going, like, festivals together. That's where the real bonding happens. You know, when you're 2AMers and you're just, like, you're my brother. And then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so probably when we were, like, I was maybe 17 and you were, or 16, 17. Yeah, 16, 17 probably. That's when we got real tight. And then our, like, crew of mates, kind of, that's where we all really, like, yeah. got tight. Like, the stragglers <laughs> that weren't that close <laughs> left. And then, yeah. We got real close. Yeah. There's a group of about 10 of us that are just super close. but And, yeah. it's, and we're all different. This is like most of our best friends, the guys we're living with now, so you like Big Twist you're probably familiar with, and Bill and me and Falcon all have sisters, only two siblings, oh, one sibling, and it's a sister two years older than us, all of us. It's so weird. We're all best friends. Like, yeah, it's weird. After school festivals is pretty much how we met. And, <laughs> yeah. You both became tradies after school. Did you guys enjoy being in that line of work? Did you ever think like, yes, this is it for me? Or was the entertainment industry always something on the horizon that you wanted to aspire towards? Well, I actually, I left year, halfway through year 11 and I went and worked for like an online surfboard site. So I didn't start at my trade. So I worked there for a couple of years and then I went traveling and then I came back and then fell into you were just cruising. Yeah, I was just, just cruising. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to be a tradie because my dad was a bricklayer, and I seen how hard it was, and just how like his back was always fucked, or his <laughs> shoulders, whatever. And I was like, I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. I don't want to do that at all. And then, but I kind of fell into it because there's not many jobs where we're from. It's either everyone's a tradie or a teacher, so I fell into it. But I didn't want to do my apprenticeship because then you're locked in. So I was just trying to like just work, make money, and then like travel, this and that. And then I was actually just about to start my apprenticeship because I was like getting on, I was like 23 or four. And uh, everyone was like, you need to do an apprenticeship now or you're going to be screwed. You'll be like 30 and still laboring. I'm like, fuck, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> and then Jack called me one hour and he's like, let's go to Europe. I was like, no, nah, I can't travel. Like I got to actually say no for once and do something like serious in my life. <laughs> and he's like, no, nah, we're going, we'll work towards something we want to do for the rest of our lives. This and that, and then I was like, oh, all right, one more trip, let's just do it, yeah. give one more last crack. And then, I remember that perfectly when I called him, uh, I was skating up and down the footpath, after, I, got, I got home from a trip somewhere, I, don't know, I think I was in New Zealand, and I've been home for a month or two, I was going to do one last trip to, to kind of, but I wanted to, yeah, go somewhere, 
with life, you know, instead of my training because I also did not like it at all. And then I remember speaking to him on the phone and he's like, no, nah, not doing it, can't do it. I've got to settle down. I've got to knuckle, knuckle into something, get my apprenticeship. And I was like, what do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. And then hung up. And then I'm not joking. I can 10 minutes later, he called me. He's like, let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> and it was just, yeah, it was almost a plan for it. But I was a baby for about 10 years, nine years, since I was 16 or something. When you say you gave Matt the phone call saying like, let's do something that we want to do for the rest of our lives. Did you actually mean let's actually start creating content and start creating videos? Like, is that what you meant? Is that the kind of thing that you actually wanted to do? Uh, No, no. I mean, yeah, we were going to do that, but we had no clue in the whole world you can make money from Instagram. We were just tradies that knew nothing about our life. And um, we kind of wanted to, we're over there. It's pretty funny. We were planning to like, Started superfood like a sardi <laughs> health bar, and then then like Just anything like emailing the council at Byron Bay. I'm pretty sure saying like, <laughs> can, we, how do we, can we get permits to like work like set up a shipping container on this field? Blah blah blah. I don't know what we'll think. We just wanted to set up like a- anything about hospitality or anything. Yeah. We just wanted to start something, but then we just wanted to make videos on the side. But yeah, so we just started doing that. That's what we're really passionate about. And we just kept going. Because Falcon made videos, I did as well, but he made them heaps at home while I was snowboarding like in the years. We also made videos on the one-off, you know, every couple of months. But then we're like, let's go overseas and just start doing it heavily. Yeah, just because we enjoyed doing it. We didn't really think, you know, this was going to come out of it at all. Yeah, We thought we'd just have some fun with it and see what happens. And then, yeah. Yeah. I want to know, when did you guys realize you had such good observation skills? Because to be in the industry you're in and be making the kind of content you make, you have to be really watching people and understanding how people work and what's funny about being human. Did you guys notice that was a skill you both had, being able to kind of make light of observing the world? Not really. Not really. Not at all. No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think we just, I don't know, I guess we just started making, we didn't even know we're funny. Honestly, like we still don't think we're funny. We watch we edit things and we, we don't laugh sometimes. And we're just like, what? who knows how this is going to go. But I think at the time we we just tried to make as much content. And, but that was funny for us. We didn't really care at the start what people thought, I don't think. Still don't really in a way. But relatable things and just what was funny and stupid to us, we just started pumping out so much of that content. And then I guess it just kind of shaped from there. I couldn't even edit videos. I could, but basic. And he kind of was a bit better than me at editing. We were both so bad, couldn't act, still can't act, but like, you know, just were horrible and I guess just got better. Yeah. Pretty much. Seriously. I still feel like we don't even know what we're doing. Exactly. At all. We don't even know what, we show our, our housemates when we edit a video, because we have so much tunnel vision, we've been editing it for a day or whatever. We, we don't even know what it looks like anymore. I haven't laughed once while editing it. And the house, <laughs> housemates are so used to it, they don't even laugh. They're just like, yeah, that's a good one. Well, that, yeah, that's shit. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. The, if it's a good one, you're, you're like, oh, we're on here, boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. But then, but then there's, there's times like where we... Yeah, all, you know it's a good one. Yeah, and you're all laughing. And yeah. Like that, sure, the yeah. one we did just recently, the Nickelback one, I, I couldn't <laughs> stop watching. I was capping just because everyone just looks so funny. and Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the ones you laugh when you make and you know they're going to be good. Yeah. Do you think that working like as tradies and actually kind of having a life before you went into this probably helped your comedy a little bit because you were around the very people that you're trying to target now with your comedy? I think so. Yeah, probably. Definitely. Yeah. More because it's the average joke. We, you know, we still are so average. People think, you know, because you've got a few followers and you're some superhuman, but we're just so average. Mm. And I think that's, you know, we come from wealth and, you know, yeah, look at your dad that was 
rich or mum that was super rich and you you were privileged as hell, I don't think we'd have the same comedy. Yeah, you were born into that kind of life or whatever. Yeah, I think it was. That's why. And I think it also, like, working in that industry also taught us, like, work ethic. Yeah, like 100%. And what we know we don't want to do, so, like, that's why we work so hard towards this because we know we don't. We've yeah. done that. We don't want that. This is what we want, so it makes yeah. us work a bit harder. For sure. I think that's that was the drive because we knew we were getting to the age where, you know, you got to kind of find a career or chase something down that you really love. And knowing how much I personally didn't like the job site, like I could not handle it. I just do it to save money to travel. But when I was, if I had to settle down, I could not physically go every day. So I think that drive helped us so much, especially when we started getting a bit of traction. We're like, let's go for this heavily. You guys touched on that Europe trip earlier that you finally decided to go on. Thank goodness you did, because that was when, the Inspired Unemployed was born. Like you guys have been making skit videos, but it wasn't until you were trapped. Was it in a shitty French hostel or Airbnb that you guys were snowed in? You didn't have access to Wi-Fi. You had to entertain yourselves. And to entertain yourselves, you started making the Inspired Unemployed videos. Was that when you first had a video go viral? Like when was the moment that you guys kind of looked at each other and thought we're onto something here and it's going to work? When we're stuck in that shitty Airbnb in France, that was when we kind of got to the realisation that we're going to do try and do videos and we're going to try and do them as hard as we can. We left summer at home, all our mates at home, went over to um, France and just got snowed in. It was, it was dark. It wasn't it was a very oh, good start to the trip. Our like, car was breaking down. It was just everything that could go wrong went wrong and then we were stuck in this shitty Airbnb paying like 100 euros <laughs> a night and we sat down and we're like, we got to like figure out right here now what we're going to do. And like, let's try and make some videos. Also because we're bored and having fun. And we're like, let's... Let's yeah. do it. Let's let's make some videos and push punch them out and see how we goes. had. I think we had we had goals like we sound heaps nerdy, but <laughs> we like you would we go to the cafe and like write our book like goals or how many videos you want to do you know in the next month or whatever, and just go hard at it. I feel like we're in Europe. I feel like we're we're working. Like we were putting out a lot of content. We're putting out probably four videos a week, which is a hard way of trying to have a holiday and edit at the same time as film. But yeah, from that Airbnb, having coming from summer in Australia to over there, and the trip started off so bad. We bought this car in the middle of nowhere in England, the dodgiest, like before we're going to get bashed. Honestly, when we bought it, there was glass all throughout the front. Like, it must have, they, uh, they would have stole it. I think they stole the it car. Was stolen. <laughs> it was their registration papers, and it was like, so sus, we're going to the post office to get it all sorted and like, you, you're missing this and that. And we're like, oh my God, we just bought this dud. We didn't even, re- I don't think we registered. We didn't register. We didn't register the car. So <laughs> oh my God. Then we drove into France, got to France, never been, can't speak French, got first day there, the car broke down, but it would still go, but it was going like 40 kilometers on this insanely <laughs> fast motorway. Well, what's that, the urban bar? The Euro bar, Euro urban bar, whatever they call it in, um, in Germany, they can go as fast as they want. Like, seriously, cars are going 180 k's, like a jet past us, and we went <laughs> we were off the lane, going 40 kilometers, <laughs> punching the steering wheel, or just crying. We were just throwing his phone like in the back of the car. Going, this is fucked. And, then, <laughs> it, and we were trying to make it to France, to, to Paris. Yeah, to Paris to get to this Airbnb on time. Oh man! And we didn't have phone reception. And he was driving. He's the most stressful driver ever. 
ever. It's and, like he's getting his L's. <laughs> and then it, like we get the outskirts of Paris, they're, it's like driving in Bali. It was just like people going everywhere. Sketchy. It starts snowing. snowing. There's no back window because it's like one of those vans that's fully shut off. And then the mirror is smashed on that side and I have one mirror to go off. And it's nighttime, it's snowing, there's people going everywhere. People like bonfires in the middle of the road, I'm not joking. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that was like the, probably like the lowest point of my life. I was like, never, I was in this car and I just wanted to be at home, asleep, like cuddling my mum or some shit. And I was <laughs> driving this car, nearly in tears. And, like, and we had to fix the car in the morning and the Airbnb lady messages and she goes, guys, you're too late, I can't check you in. And then I had, I was heap sick. I was, I had like this crazy cold. I was getting vertigo. I, was, I remember standing in McDonald's, like thinking I was on a boat. And Falcon was just looking at the ground, like crying. Uh, I don't know how we survived, but yeah. Jesus. Uh, that was the start of the trip. But then it got, got a bit better for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the start of the trip and you would make these videos. And when you say like you had these goals, I think this is the stuff that I actually really enjoy hearing, even though you kind of joked it was a bit nerdy because like it's not like you throw something at a wall and hope it sticks. Like there is thought and process behind this stuff. What did you want? Like when you were sitting there having conversations about making these videos, what did you want out of them? I think we wanted, we almost wanted it to be a resume fast to get into it, the industry like entertainment to, mm-hmm. to put a backlog of well I don't know first we were doing it for us because we loved it but second yeah it was for that for, for just to do yeah. we wanted just to get see how far we could go with it and see yeah. how much traction we could get but, but we didn't know that was going to take off like that we honestly thought if we had 20,000 followers in two years that'd be so cool we're looking at people with 50,000 followers saying we were like how the hell like yeah how the hell could they do that like it's crazy Blah, blah, blah. And, and yeah. we didn't even, we were in Europe for six months doing about four videos a week on average. We only got to 8,000 followers or something before we got home. And then we were getting pretty tired at that point, hey. Mm-hmm. And he was still over there for another month and I got home. And we are still making a couple of videos. But then when he got home, we are like, let's go for it. And then after that, literally the first three videos took off, like went from 8,000 to 35 in a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like more, yeah, like a resume to, I don't know, like get extra gigs or yeah, just get us into that industry. We didn't know exactly what we wanted to do because I don't think anyone knows what we want to do. And then, yeah, so we just thought, try and get this as a resume and then hopefully it might lead to something. Yeah. We definitely didn't look at it as a job at all. We were still trying to think of business ideas while this is all happening. Yeah. We were, it was so far from our mind that this could ever make you money, especially in the short amount of time. Talk to us about that really awkward early stage because when we made Shameless, we went through the exact same thing that we built Shameless to be part of our resume. We thought we wouldn't be hired in the industry unless we could kind of upskill and be in podcasting and stuff as well. And one thing I remember really thinking in the early days was, God, this is uncomfortable and it's awkward because Shameless wasn't a thing yet. People didn't really recognize it yet. And when you're just kind of like putting out content, there's a lot of raised eyebrows, like trying to explain what you're doing to your grandparents or your parents. They all get like very confused and a little bit worried about you as well. What do you remember of those really uncomfortable early days before the Inspired Unemployed was successful? I think it was pretty easy. Yeah, it was lucky for us because we're overseas. So we could make the most shameful videos and then we didn't have to go face-to-face with anyone like in IGA or next day. Yeah, on the job Job site. site, Worse. Oh, my God. Putting yourself out there that hard, having like a 1,000 followers, people don't back you like they would now because now it's legit. But back then, you're probably doing the same things and everyone's laughing. Not laughing at you, but it's just just scary. Yeah. So so the the hardest part was done before we got home. So we shamed ourselves and we 
yeah, we weren't at home, so we didn't have anyone to really yeah. give a shit or whatever. We were in our own world, pretty much. It's like yeah. a little Disneyland where we didn't have, we put out a bad video. Honestly, some of the videos we did over there, I could not have come home. I would have went and lived in Antarctica before I went home to <laughs> to, to face people that I know because they were so heavy. Yeah. But yeah, that is, but that's it is awkward to start. Yeah. It's scary. Because you, yeah, you put yourself down there, you don't know if it's good or not and yeah, you kind of just got to, and it's not good at the start. Yeah. You're pretty hopeless and you just got to push through, I guess. Yeah. And people, you know, don't, some, a lot of people haven't seen that side of you. Like they, they see you on the job site, you chat, having, you know, very sophisticated conversations to like people on, on, at work and then next thing you're dancing in a Barbie outfit, like, you know, so it's pretty, pretty scary. But I mean, I think we came to a point where me personally, anyway, I was just like, who cares? I'm, yeah. Like who cares what anyone thinks? I'm, let's just do yeah. us. After you did so many sh- uh, shameful kind of videos, everyone don't really care now, they've seen me, they've seen enough. Coming up after the break, how Vogue editor Edwina McCann helped make the inspired unemployed serious players in the fashion industry. But first, a word from today's sponsor. I heard a quote that you told Channel 9 recently where you said, we were putting so much time into it prior to it blowing up, which was the hardest bit because you'd think, is this worth it, putting all our time into it? I want to know what those kind of shaky moments like. Like you even said before, there were moments where you just got a bit tired of it. Were there moments where you thought, Gah, I don't know if we're going to do this or did you put a timeline on how long you were going to do it for until you kind of pulled back if it didn't hit a certain target? Um, at the end of, so yeah, at the end of our Europe trip, Jack went home like a month earlier than me and just before, like three weeks before he was going home or maybe two weeks, he wanted to like, we, we wanted to try and like make a few videos so when he, we weren't together, we could still distribute them. And then, I don't know, we kind of just, it wasn't really growing that much and we were kind of putting all this effort into it and we're on holidays and we're with our friends at that point. And, yeah. you know, we're kind of on a holiday and then we're, we're trying to take time away to go me and him film something and, felt, yeah, I felt bad to our friends over there. Because it wasn't legit either. Yeah, it wasn't legit. It's like, what are we doing this for? And no one <laughs> even really cares about it at all. So that was the point where it was a bit, yeah, it got a bit. Yeah. But then, yeah, exactly. That was the closest we've ever had to, um, we would never, I don't think we'd ever, would have stopped doing it, but that was the closest we've ever had to be like, fuck, is it worth it? Like, we're putting so much work in. But then when you got home, this, yeah. It was we probably needed that little, probably needed that. Like a month away from each other. Yeah. You know so what we're li- literally sleeping with each other every night. No, <laughs> not like that. <laughs> not like that, but like, we were in bunk beds, like, the whole time, sleeping in the back of a van. And in double beds. And double beds. So, yeah, we're just sleeping, yeah, exactly, in bunk beds, in our van. Yeah. So, we, I, yeah, we probably and, needed a little yeah. break. And then, uh, you know how they, it's like, getting philosophy, possible, it's having a word, what am I saying here? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, getting deep, but how they say when you're so close to success, you think you're about to quit, or whatever that quote is. When you're closest to success, yeah, it's when you're, when you're closest to giving up. Yeah, exactly. And that is honestly, I don't think we would have gave up, but we were so close to like, fuck, what's, it's growing so slow, it's so much work. And then after that, we pushed through and it just went gangbusters it's crazy and it was all worth it I love so much talking to other friends who have gone into business together because it's a pretty rare thing to do and it's something Zara and I have obviously done as well and one thing we've really found interesting over the last two to three years we've done Shameless is like keeping the friendship as one thing and then having a business relationship as well together and trying to make sure those two things are separate and that you still kind of like 
spend time as friends and then spend time as business partners and don't just let it all bleed into the other. How do you guys go with that though? Because it's not very easy all the time to work with someone you're closest to than anyone else in the world. I don't think we have that. I think ours is one big relationship. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we have like a business relationship and a friend relationship. I think it's just one thing. One could be combined. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's weird. There's, not, there's probably not many people can do it at all. But it works. I don't know. I think we're just together that much. Yeah, we know what each other. We're not, we know what we're thinking. Mm-hmm. I literally know what he's thinking. He knows what I'm thinking. And we agree on pretty much everything. And if we don't, if we disagree, you kind of – Makes you step back and be like, okay, he's probably right, kind of thing. Yeah. But the yeah, the business to personal life, like it's kind of just exciting for us. We don't really get it. It doesn't. It's not like a turn off. It's just it's kind of like a game for us. How you know, how well you can do. I don't know. Yeah, we just have kind of fun with it. We, yeah. take, we try not to take it too seriously. I mean, we want to make something out of it, but people like the deals and that. We kind of just don't know. Yeah, you just have fun. Whatever. Like it works out, it's good. It's pretty doesn't, funny. Like, you'd sit in room, we sit in rooms with people so high up. We've got thongs on and shorts, and they're in like boots, and we're just kicking each other under the table, laughing, like, what is happening right now? <laughs> it's that funny, but. At the same time, we take it very seriously. <laughs> yeah, for any brands listening, we are very serious about this. <laughs> Contradicting myself. I was really surprised. We are, I asked you this before we actually started recording because I had been wondering as we were prepping for this interview whether you live together because obviously you film all your stuff together and I was like, I wonder if they live together and it turns out you do. How do you do that? Like do you live with other people? Are you always talking about content? Like I know Mish asked about whether there was a line, but what's it like in the house? Yeah, so we live, there's five of us in the house. Well, there was, we just moved out. So it's soon going to be three of us. Three of us, us two and Dom. Yeah, but usually the past year it's been five of us. So there's always, like, you can always break off. If we get sick of each other, you can go hang out with someone else. Or even when you're in a big group atmosphere, it's not like you're one-on-one. And when we're in a group, it's kind of like, that's our break. That's our time away. We never talk about business when we're with the boys because firstly, they don't care and we... We just you know you don't you need a break yeah but when we're together we just it's just everything combined but when we're the boys that's our time apart for sure we never really talk about business at all in front of the guys just because we don't want we don't want to it's just it's kind of nice to have that break and I think when we live we living together helps because at, even at like nine o'clock at night we'll come up with an idea and we just yeah. like bounce off each other or yeah sometimes we're editing and I'll give it to you <laughs> and you edit a little bit and then back and forth so. It kind of works living together, but I guess if we can just yeah. maintain handle on each other, yeah, yeah. it's good. But we were saying the other day, it's pretty funny. We'd probably be living within 10 kilometers of each other for the rest of our life, maybe. <laughs> good possibility. Just have to get a farm, like split it down the middle. Yeah. Like we can't really be apart because it just won't work. Just get the Zoom calls going. <laughs> <laughs> well, it basically becomes like a marriage. Like Zara and I joke all the time that we are basically as connected at the hip as any marriage is now that we share a bank account and all this other stuff as well. I want to know how you come up with ideas. Like it's one thing to kind of have it as a hobby and come up with videos whenever they come to mind, but it's another thing to then have your job be making videos and your job be coming up with ideas. How do you guys come up with stuff for skits or for videos and is one of you more the ideas guy than the other we're actually doing we're in that process right now going yeah. writing skits it's, it's literally would you agree it's 50 50 yeah like everything everything from like editing to yeah video ideas to 
like business. You were heaps more business savvy at the start, but then now I feel like I've taught, you've like taught me to be like, on. when we're doing deals and whatever. So I feel like yeah, we're honestly like really fifty fifty with everything. And yeah, it depends. Like wherever you're, I could be looking out the window right now and see Gail on a bike doing I don't know, and then I could be like, yeah, that's an idea, and that's my skit. So I will write it, and then I'll show Falcon or tell Falcon, and then he can put his you know he's two cents on that and then that's how it works all the time that's just what it is like someone always has the idea and then you're like oh my god that's amazing let's do this that you know finesse the script a bit and then just once the script's done you just improv the rest it's not too heavily scripted at all we just kind of 60 70 percent script and go off the rest but 50 50 everything editing it's so we're so fortunate we have each other like you guys are probably as well that especially for editing for everything actually filming because we film everything ourselves and edit everything ourselves. So editing, you can get so much tunnel vision that you don't even know what you're looking at. Then the other person will come in. Within 10 minutes, they'll fix the whole thing up so fast. So I couldn't imagine how hard it would be for people doing it by themselves. And, yeah, just having someone to bounce off ideas. Yes. Yeah. Makes it a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. I think it's one of those things we often joke that it feels a bit like a cheater's way to do work and content and business because you do always have like a fallback person to kind of bounce off. What video do you guys credit for that takeoff period? I mean, you said before that saying that just before success is often the time you're most likely to kind of give up. Talk to us about that kind of really quick extreme growth and what do you credit to it it was three videos but it was probably one main video um the berlin dancing one when we're all in the black at the quarry that would have been the one yeah i think Brad cardigan shared that all and then it just went nuts mm. from a lot of people sharing actually people every, everywhere around australia and the world that was the one for sure and we hadn't we haven't done much dancing videos we did that um the hall of notes one like dancing down the the street and that then went that went off so we're like the dancing's like, yeah. people like that. So then the next dance one was the Berlin one. Yeah. And then it kind of just like, those two videos kind yeah. of made it explode a bit more. And we're lucky, very lucky that we had, we put in though that time in Europe. Because we had it, by the time we did blow up, we had about a hundred and something videos. So that would have helped so much. Because you know, when you go on someone's page, if they got one video, you're like, well, what's the point of following them? That we had a whole backlog, which... They weren't that good, but it would have helped so much with, you know, getting tra- getting some traction, getting some followers. What about moving into the world of fashion? Like, I'm sure this is as surprising to you guys as it is to anyone. You are now working or you have worked with the likes of Fendi, GQ and Vogue. One of you actually said in an interview lately that you didn't know what Fendi was when they reached out to you and wanted to collaborate. What do you think that's about? Like, where did the fashion stuff come into play? I wish we knew. how to tell you it all started because edwina mccann from she's the editor-in-chief of vogue and gq emailed us wanted to meet us because she liked the videos and we're just lucky she liked the videos you know when just the lucky person that likes the videos and she met us and then we she took us to the gq man of year awards and then we got in vogue well how we got in vogue was actually that's probably what would have started most of it that was the most random yeah, that's ever. We were, this this girl Jessica Roscoe, she's a photographer, she's great. We didn't really know her, and she just hit us up when to do a just a random photo shoot, like a two day shoot, just down our way. It was like, for nothing. It was nothing. just for fun, just for fun. And we're like, yeah, sweet, let's do it. And then on the second day, we we're shooting. No, no, it was on the first day. It was on the first it was day after the sunset. Yeah, yeah, the sunset, and we we're shooting. And we said, I'm not even kidding. We're like, imagine if these got in vogue. And then when we went back to the car to pack all our stuff up. 
we had an email from Ed Wiener, which is the editor-in-chief of Vogue. Never heard of her in our life. And that happened literally half an hour after we said that. Then when we went to the meeting with Ed Wiener that had nothing to do with the photo shoot, uh, we were with like all her um, assistants and stuff. And we showed the photos that we took on the day to these girls. And then they said, holy shit, Ed Wiener needs to see these. And as we're walking back to the car, because Edwina was in a meeting, uh, we had a DM off Edwina in capital saying, oh my God, these are amazing. We're going to print. She's like, don't send these to anyone. And we were like, we were screaming, we were like running around the street, <laughs> jumping up and down. It was that funny. Yeah. Because it was actually meant to get to another publication. She's like, don't send these to everyone. We want to print them in Vogue. And then, and then I guess that's kind of like kicked that off. That was the start. But, but that didn't like. Um, that was not to February. Yeah. So we did that in like November, but it did, the print didn't go until February. But then I think because they seen us like joking around modeling and stuff, she's like, all right. And then she got us the Fendi gig with GQ, yeah. the Fendi GQ photo shoot. And then I think that just kind of exploded. And it's funny because the first ever photo shoot we done ended up in Vogue. And then the second photo shoot we ever did ended up in GQ. Yeah. And we're just like, wow. Yeah, That's <laughs> such an annoying fact. So, like, <laughs> so bizarre because we... Don't, I've never even read a mag in my life. Didn't even know what Fendi was when we got the phone call. But I guess it's because we're so opposite of fashion that maybe they were trying to hit that target or we were just, it was just good, right, good timing. I think the whole fashion industry at the moment is trying to take it less serious. Yeah. I think that's the vibe of it. So we just got lucky and they use us as the puppets to (laughs) do it. Well, I was going to say, what do you think Edwina McCann saw in you? Like, have you asked her since or the more time that you've spent in the fashion industry, have you kind of understood why it was you guys that she pegged, you know, back in November as the men who would probably, you know, change the kind of pace of men's fashion in Australia this year? I think it's the chiseled jawline and like six pack. (laughs) 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 I've no idea, honestly. I guess the, the comedy and she was just literally loved us so much. She brought her kid to come and meet us and stuff. And we weren't that big at the time at all. I don't know. I think the, the what we're doing, comedy messed with a bit of a, mixed with a bit of fashion she could saw and she took a gamble and thankfully she took that gamble. It was a pretty bold move of her. Yeah. Of Like on her behalf. We weren't big at all. And we, and she put us up with Fendi straight away to do it. Yeah. You know, she apparently she had to call him over in Italy and she's like, these guys need to do this cover, blah, blah, blah. And we couldn't work out why she did that. <laughs> but, yeah, just good, lucky, just lucky, honestly. You guys spoke to the Daily Talk Show at the very beginning of this year. And in that chat, you spoke to them about how you've always been wary or cautious of selling out. And you think it's really important for branded deals to be like specific and to not take every offer coming your way. I imagine that must have been kind of hard though at times like if you've got these huge potentially really well-paid opportunities coming into your inbox all the time and all these brands want to work with you how do you guys internally decide which brands you'll say yes and no to at the start it's hard to say no because you yeah so new to it like oh my god they want to pay us this to do this this is the dream and then i think as we go on now like no matter how much someone offers money we're easy can say no like even if someone Offered millions, like we, like honestly, <laughs> right. we can. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> like, you, and it's I don't know for some reason it's so easy to say no now because yeah, honestly we know that if you say no to that, it's long term. Yeah, long term. Like in twelve months, we might get offered something better. Yeah, if a gambling, you know, company which has actually hit us up and we did it. In if you did that stuff for four months, in six months, no one cares about you at all. Like. 
you've just sold out, you've lost your touch. So I guess that's that balance is super hard. But I think now, oh, I can we get 20 emails a day and our manager probably gets more. But we just say no to pretty much everything unless it really, we love it. Like we love the idea that it could work for us or or just, yeah, just aligns with, we could take the piss out of it pretty much. <laughs> that's when we that's when we'll do it, I think. Yeah. Or it's fashion, high fashion. Is creative control important too? I mean, the recent campaign that you did with the iconic was this is a non-sponsored shout out, but genuinely one of the most incredible branded ads she I've ever sent. She won't stop talking about it. She I will sent not it to Michelle and I was like, this it. is incredible. Like this is so, this is like insane. Is having some kind of control over the content or what it's going to look like really important? Yeah, hundreds of everything, really. Yeah. We're, we're very particular now with, yeah, yeah, creative control. We won't do branded stuff unless we have yeah. creative control. But in that case, it was such a big production. But we were there from the start. Two ideas. Yeah, so we were from the start, like we kind of helped brought out the whole campaign. But then on the day, there's, there's directors and director wrote, yeah, all the sh- yeah shots. And I've been a good team. Yeah. The team, like the director, Stefan, and then all the producers and stuff, they were legends. And it wasn't that case. We we would have knew that before we kicked off with it because you have Zooms and stuff. So we definitely, you wouldn't go ahead with it. You, you felt, we feeling it. yeah, like you were kind of prisoned about it. But then the editing, we, the editing is such a big part. Because it's how you can get the humor across for us, and we edited the iconic one. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think creative control we need. Mm. Otherwise, you just feel it's just weird. Yeah. Someone doing your own content, like I don't think that could ever happen. As mm. it's a TV show or something. <laughs> I mean, I think you guys being so selective with your own brand is like crucial to its success and why it's taken off so much. And I think over this year in particular, your profiles, both personally and as the Inspired Unemployed, have just skyrocketed. How do you feel about that? How do you feel maybe about being recognised on the street or having a weird level of like internet fame but also quite legitimate fame now? It's pretty bizarre. So bizarre. It's, yeah, it's funny. You don't, you, you can't wrap your head around it. Yeah. I mean, even you walk down the road and you're getting photos. I don't know. You can't process it. It just is happening and you're just enjoying it. It, besides when you're hungover, I can't talk to people. <laughs> mm. And if people come up for photos, I'm literally, I put my bucket hat on with my speed dealer sunnies. I can't do it. Yeah. If we walk together, we're kind of screwed. But if we're, <laughs> if we're separate, we're fine, like in groups. But if we're together, we're the biggest target. But, but it always is people coming out like being so nice, so nice. and like, oh, let me stop. So it's, it's nice. It, it is. But then there's, yeah, there's the times when you're hungover and you just, you want to go down and you just want to get you. So I don't know, shopping, I'll get you snitty and then you don't really want to talk a whole lot. But everyone's always so nice. And it, is, it is pretty cool. It's amazing. Like the, the thing, everyone comes up to us is so nice. That's the best thing. That's the 100% the beauty of it because they have something good to say always and they're frothing. They're not coming up ripping on us. Yeah. Is, <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't come yeah. too soon. Yeah. But, like the same yeah, and it's cool to see like some people when they're just so stoked and yeah. like you just have a conversation with them and seeing them so stoked. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah. As two guys who have achieved a bunch of like conventional success in the space of a couple of years, how do you define success? Because we do ask everybody about success, but I am particularly intrigued with your answer given, you know, what the last year, year and a half has looked like. I think doing something you genuinely love because that's so much easier said than done. Like, we got very lucky with timing, but we genuinely love it. I think if you're doing something you love and it doesn't feel like you're working and you're just happy, 
that's that's success for sure yeah. in my eyes. Yeah, for sure. Like you could be rich as hell and happy, or rich as hell and miserable. But if you're rich and hell and miserable, that's not success. You're just wealthy with a big lonely house. Mm. <laughs> but uh, or you could be poor as hell and absolutely stoked because that's just what you like. But I think for us, for me, anyways, it's just doing what you're doing this, and we're every day is the funnest day of our life. We try and live every day like it's our last day. Yeah. Like that's why I never wanted to do the apprenticeship in that. I've always kind of, hold on, we both shared very similar. Like, we're pretty, like, dreamers. Like, before this all started, we shared the same kind of mindset where we, like, we wanted to, like, live the best life we can. Like, I've always wanted to just live the best life I can. That's why I did the surf shop job because I could have heaps of holidays and go to every festival and that. And then I've always just wanted to have the best life possible. And then you can do it. Yeah. Are you but at the time, you, when it gets life starts getting serious, and you're not, you know, you are thinking you might be a tradie forever. You kind of stop stop believing that because, especially down our way, there's not too many people chasing big dreams. So you kind of get stuck in a bit of a, a, a rut of like, fuck, maybe I do need to knuckle in and get that house and retire when I'm 60 and I can barely walk and <laughs> all that stuff, you know. So you're just trying to yeah, have as much fun each day. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's success. Having fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that so much and I think our listeners will too. Boys, thank you so much for coming on the show. You guys are a hot commodity right now, so we are very, very grateful you gave us 45 minutes of your time. No worries. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the Inspired Unemployed. If you're wanting more from the boys, you can, of course, follow them on Instagram if you're not already at the Inspired Unemployed. If you enjoyed this chat, we also recommend you listen to our other In Conversation episodes with Andy Lee and Hamish Blake. We'll pop the links to both of those chats in our show notes. As for us, the best way to support the show is click follow on Spotify or subscribe on Apple or recommend this episode to a friend. Thank you so much, guys. We will be back in your ears on Monday. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.